Hi, I'm Adrian Potter. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. For most of my life, I've been curious about why people do the things they do, especially people that create for a living. In these episodes, I'm going to talk to people that design and make the most amazing things. I'm going to ask them how and why they do the things they do. Please join me on this adventure into a creative life. Hi, it's Adrian here again. Welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I can't do it without you. It's just really important to me and I really appreciate it. So welcome. My guest today is Shima Golami. She was born in Iran and grew up in Iran, born in Tehran actually. And it seems to me that Iran is presented, it's almost as if they're an enemy these days. Hey, bit like Iraq was in the 2000s. And what we need to be aware of, I reckon, is that Persia, which is Iran, is an incredibly ancient and very sophisticated culture. And Shima and I have a really good chat about her life growing up in Tehran and her work as a curator at the Golestan Palace before she emigrated to Australia with her husband and her daughter. And Just on the Golestan Palace, if you haven't seen it, check it out online. It is insanely beautiful. It's the palace of the kings and the shah, and it's a museum now, and uh, she was one of the curators there. Guildhouse connected Shima and I a couple of years ago. We did a project that linked migrant craftspeople and Australian craftspeople, and we created a piece called Sun. It's actually my avatar on Instagram ever since I've been on Instagram, which is about a year. And it's also available at the Bungendore Woodworks Gallery in Bungendore, just outside of Canberra in Australia, if you want to go and buy it, it's available. Look, collaboration is just awesome. Shima and I created something that we could not have come up with by ourselves. She couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. Together we did something really amazing and I'm really proud of it. So I can't recommend collaborating enough. I think it's just a really amazing thing. And Shimmer and I talk about all things Iran and what it's like in Iran culturally and its differences with the culture of Australia where her daughter's growing up. I really, really hope you enjoy this conversation. I love talking to Shima. She's a wonderful person. She's kindly organised some music for our pleasure, which I'm going to include at the very end. And if you want to skip, just skip to the end. It's probably the last 10 minutes or so. Enjoy that. There's two contemporary Iranian pieces and two traditional Iranian pieces. So enjoy that right at the end. In the meantime, enjoy my conversation with Shima. Hello, Adrian. Hello, Shima. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. How about you? I'm good. Are you ready to do a podcast? (laughs) I'm ready. That's fine. Yeah, cool. That's great. (laughs) Look, Shima, welcome to the Designer Maker Revolution. 
Oh, thank you very much, Adrian. Yeah, what, a lot of what I want to talk about is Iranian culture and how it compares similar to Australian culture and how it differs because here in the West and in Australia, we don't really know the Persian history and how deep and, and sophisticated Persian peoples have been. And I'm really hoping that we can tease out a lot of these subjects. Are you okay with that? Uh, yeah, of course. You know, if we go back for uh, historical context, from the Iranian side, definitely we can find lots of processes in the history mm. because it's a historical country. Yeah, but about Australia, you you know that uh, the modern Australia definitely is very new. Yes. Um, so in these phases, definitely still there are lots of differences in between. But uh, in uh, totally, if uh, we want to go uh, through the history of Iran, would you like me to talk about the history of Iran or? I'd be, look, I do want to talk about the history of Iran and Persia and that area uh, generally, because I think it provides a great context for what we're going to talk about. I'd also like to talk to you about your personal experiences as well and like how it all plays out and why immigrate to Australia or the West from Iran and how did that go? All these things I'd like to sort of talk about. How about we just start and we'll see how we go. If you're at a party and someone asks you what you do for a living, how do you answer? Um, I probably just say that I am a researcher and I am a teacher too. Mm. So I'm working full time and I just do more. My passion is more just focused on my research. Yeah. And you've been a scholar for all of your life pretty much, hey? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And one of your jobs in Tehran when you were working there was in as a curator in the Golestan Palace. Can you talk about what the Golestan Palace is and its significance? Of course, yeah. Golestan Palace is a palace museum, is a complex of museums and and collections. And you can see uh, different architectural forms, artworks, paintings, and I I mean paintings and exhibitions and also uh, very diverse collections of uh, photographs and manuscripts. It has a very big garden with very aged and uh, plain trees and uh, lots of beautiful nature inside that garden when you just step in. Mm. It's a very nice place and the history of that just uh, goes back to uh, Qajar dynasty that is about, I can say, 300, approximately 300 years ago. And the collections that you find, it's very beautiful and rare collections of um, especially um, miniatures, uh, illumination works and paintings. It's a royal collection. Mm. And also the photogra- um, photographs that uh, if you go to the history of photograph, you can find lots of substances from those times that started an um, age from, I mean, in, in the same as in Europe. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a very nice place. Yeah, and I would say that people would be familiar with the architecture. If if somebody was to think of Islamic architecture, that's what you would see when you go to the palace. Of course, yeah. There are lots of architectural forms if you go. Um, especially there are, um, I mean, few buildings that you can find kind of, I can say, Iranian character uh, symbols in there, uh, yeah. like um, like there is a kind of wind towers, 
that we say. And the wind towers was a place that normally just, you know, designed for the places that it's very hot, like, I mean, Iranian desert mm -hmm. in some places that it's very hot. Mm -hmm. And in olden time, they didn't have any cooler system or air conditioner. So those wind towers just work in normally four towers in four corners of the building. Yeah. And it was very high. And those wind towers just uh, go through to the earth. I mean, in the basement normally, mm. and there was few holes around th those areas. And this just um, like a kind of corridor going around that building and just make a kind of drafting and um, conditioning the air for mm. summer times. Yeah, right. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's like a passive cooling system. That's what we yeah. would call it now to be passive instead of like an active cooling system, which is your air conditioning, yeah. you plug it into the wall and away you go. It's much more passive. How cool is that? Yeah, and cool. the palace was the home of the king or the shah? Yeah, in Qajar period, at least for 50 years, was using as a settlement. It was, yeah. a, a shah was living there, but it was very bigger than that you see now because uh, some part of that called Haram Sarah, I don't know if you've heard about Haram Sarah or not, uh, it was a place that Shah just kept <laughs> his wife's. <there>. Uh, <laughs> the harem. <laughs> so, yeah, harem, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's broken. That that place is already uh, is not there now. But, um, oh, that's other a bit areas, sad. It is, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, when I, when I was working in the museum, every visitor is coming and just asking for Haram Sarah. Yeah. Can we see Haram Sarah? <laughs> What did you say? No, you can't go there. It's out of bounds. Yeah, there, there is That's nothing a... there. I mean, it's already just rebuilt in that area. There is no um, kind of building from Haramsara. Yeah. But it's very beautiful. I mean, that especially when you go through the photographs and that mm. is just, you know, existed from that time, uh, you exactly can just connect to the history of the palace mm. that's about the events, um, celebrations, whatever happened in the kind of in that area you see in the photographs as well. And this is good. Yeah. Pretty amazing place to be a part of. How did you get to be a curator there? Like, it just seems like a, the most incredible job in the world. Oh, it was very good. Yeah, you know, I just started being as a tour guide in there because one of the degrees that I just finished, it was the bursary of the uh, Iranian Heritage Organization at that time, that it is Ministry of um, Iranian Cultural Heritage at the moment. Mm. So they, they had a university that I, I was accepted in that university. And after that, I was able to go, you know, to work straight away yeah. uh, in Golestan Palace Museum. And I started as a tour guide. For one or two years, I was tour guide. And during that time, I just got myself familiar with, you know, different kinds of works like conservation or, you know, museology or the things that other curators that they were doing at that time and just preparing exhibitions and these sort of things. Mm. And after that, I just gradually found my interest in the area. And then I just got some internship programs in London, Vienna Museum and also National Archives. 
mm. for photographic conversations, internship. And because I really just felt that we need someone who worked on the, our photographic collection because we didn't have any conservator in, in that place. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was conservator for a while and I started to work on the photographic materials. And then after that, I just got the position for being a curator in yeah. the uh, Royal Archive. Yeah. Exactly before I come to Australia. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you got the job and then you got, no, I'm not, yeah. not staying. See you later. I'm out of here. So you must have been interested in art all through your life or from a pretty young age. Is that the case? Oh, yeah. I can say that art, it's, it's not just a passion. I mean, that this is, for me, it's, I think it's something that is genetically just coming through because for yeah. generations, for example, my grandparents, they had the interest in painting and, mm. and just, you know, playing music. And this is why that if you just go through my family, my sister, brothers, nephew, nieces, my cousins in my mother's side, you can find some people who are doing something in art. So, yeah, I was very interested. I remember myself when I was very little, even though two, three years old, I just was drawing, you know, drawing and painting. It was Mm. really my passion at those times. And I was very good at it without any learning or purposeful teaching to me. But Mm. uh, I, I was doing that. And my father, you know, he he was a teacher and he provided me lots of kind of A4 papers, <laughs> uh, recycled yeah, right. <laughs> A4 papers, uh, you know, more opportunity for me to waste papers and do yeah. lots of drawing on them. Yeah. yeah. Were your parents like well off or what was it like growing up? Oh, yeah. You know, it was very good. I can say that I have a very, very good memory from my childhood Mm. and from my growing up in Iran or I can say in the local community or in my family. Mm. Yeah, my, my father was a teacher and he was you know, he was a hero. He was very good. He was an, mm. a, a very spiritual man and he was very supportive to his children. Yeah. And especially that I was the last one. I had more advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but being the last one also with enough age difference with mm-hmm. other siblings yeah. uh, also made a better opportunity for me to take more advantage. Uh, yeah. Advantage of yeah, yeah. So I had very fun time. I can say that and it was good. It was very good. Yeah. And your mum was she working as well or was My mom is a housewife. Yeah. And she was she was very kind and supportive as well. You know, my art and uh, definitely coming from my mom's side. Yeah, right. <laughs> I had two uncles, that like my mom's brothers, mm. that they were like, very good musicians. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, as long as I remember, whenever they just come to visit us or we just, uh, we always had the harmony of music everywhere. And, yeah, right. You know, my, my brothers are also, and they are the same. I mean, m- music is very kind of, I don't know how to say, I miss it actually. In yeah. fact, I miss it now because it was. I was very growing up in the kind of musical environment. I can yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we talking traditional Iranian music? I take it. 
mostly it was Iranian yeah, traditional music because especially my uncles, they play traditional music and mm. also but my brother playing flute, it's a modern and he, he, he can play also the traditional music as well. Mm. But my younger brother, that he is before me, I mean, he, he just played drums as well. Yeah, so, okay. I mean, that I had both sides. It wasn't just traditional, traditional. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, is there prohibition on certain types of music or art? Oh, you mean nowadays Iran or about myself? Absolutely both. You know, I, I'm I'm very good listener to the music, but I'm not an expert. Yeah. But my brother, yeah, he, he is he is an expert actually, and he was listening to different kind of music from Western, classic, I mean traditional music of Iran, pop, yeah. rock. Yeah. And he is very knowledgeable about, you know, different kind of music. Sounds like you could listen to any sort of music you liked or look at any sort of art you liked as well. Like it doesn't seem like there was any any prohibition at all. Mm, yeah, you know, it's different. Art is different. I mean, that you can definitely, but you cannot present it in the society. There are definitely definite kind of limitations in the society and still is. But for a kind of inside the family or for your that private space that you have, definitely it's okay. I mean, yeah. that. Yeah, okay. And we need to be make it really clear that Iran now, modern Iran and traditional Persia has such a deep history with culture. It's yeah. a really ancient, continuously settled area. Um, yeah. There's culture, like a continuous culture right through that time. You can imagine the beautiful artworks that have been created over that period. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Of course, yeah. I, I'm happy to, you know, talk about it definitely because yeah. um, I, I would like to just make it a bit more clear discussion about it. But, you know, the history of Iran is not a kind of one page or two pages history that no. I can just say all now. No, <laughs> it's absolutely can, not. Uh, you know, the history of Iran, we can divide it two divisions. Uh, one is for before Islam and the other one yeah. is for after Islam. Yeah. Yeah. So before Islam, still, we have a kind of ancient Persia's uh, history that goes back to Paleolithic, uh, Neolithic and Bronze Age. That is a big professional discussions about it. But uh, this is the time that, um, you know, civilizations come through. And, and I can say that probably Iran is a center of uh, world civilization. So maybe because it was a very good place to live. I mean, that from the geographical point of view or mm. from the good climates, uh, it was a very good area and it was very close maybe to Europe and other places that people can immigrate and come to that area. Mm. Um, so uh, this is why that civilization started from there. 
it, it's a long history. If I want to go for the empires or governments, things that happened to Iran, it, it will be very long. No, we don't want and, that. We just want this. Short. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. Yeah, so yeah. I just go straight to the Achaemenid ones that yeah, yeah, everyone's okay. yeah heard about it a, a lot. So this one is two thousand five hundred years ago, and it was started with Kurush the Great. It was one of the I can say heroes uh, in Iran, and in this uh, part of the history, we say that it's a golden time of history in Iran that it's impacted not only on Iran in whole world. Yeah, because Kurosh was the person, or Cyrus. Sorry, in English we say Cyrus. Okay, Cyrus the Great. Uh, Cyrus was the person who just invented for for the first time the kind of pay system for people that it is still you know um, mm. i think that this is the basement of the pay system in these days as well are we talking about taxes here shima or are we talking about like it, income uh, it's about income and also taxes, I think, as yeah. well. Not not just taxes, because more thing that Kurosh Cyrus, sorry, focus is was about the fair payment to the people who have mm-hmm. been working, and also mm-hmm. because there are lots of clay tablets, a pay, uh, like a pay slip. Yeah, yeah. And these tablets are um, just, you know, documented and just written. Uh, in the cuneiform scripts uh, about the wages, about the, everything that you see these days in, I mean, the pay slips, you yeah. can see that it's mentioned in it. Even um, it, the, the, good, the very interesting thing for me was that the equality of um, men and women's right, and also, right. yeah, and women also had the right to work, and even though they could have just gone for the maternity leaves and still uh, get their kind of benefits. Yeah, right. And the other achievement for um, Cyrus the Great was Cyrus Cylinder uh, that was kept in the British Museum for a while and returned to Iran. I'm not sure Mm. where is it now, but it was returned for a while to Iran. And that one also is another document for the human rights declarations. That's the base of the human rights declaration for the equality of rights and also, for example, Every person has a right to choose his um, your, or her religion. Oh, really? and, yeah, and it's very interesting that lots of research has done on it. And Yeah, I'm sure, um, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what happened next? I think after Achaemenid, we just can go to the Islamic period. Yeah, which is when? The Islamic period is about 1,400 years ago. Yeah. Achaemenid was broken and vanished after Alexander the Great just mm. invaded to Iran. Yep. And after that, Iran was a place of invasions, actually. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Because after that, Arab just took the power and they just in, invaded to Iran again. And this is why that they just brought Islam, not brought forced Islam to the yeah. countries that they invaded. Yeah. Our religions at those times was the Rastarian religion. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, yeah. And so Arabs try to just, you know, force people to convert to Islam. But, you know, for for myself, I'm trying to highlight some kind of 
cultural point of view in our discussions because um, yeah. it, it, there is no point to talk about other other um, issues. I mean, for the cultural points, it's very important for me. I know that there are lots of social, political issues around the situation, but definitely I try to focus more and, you know, mm. and, and this kind of discussion. That's but, what we want to talk about, Shima. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm. Yeah, I, I, the thing that is very interesting for me is that when Islam just came to the, it's not just Iran, you know, that they started to capture lots of countries in East, I mean, that around the Arab uh, societies and Arab mm. countries. And they started to transform each country's languages. They just uh, force people to talk in Arabic language. Mm-hmm. And even though in Iran, they, they start to do that. But I'm very proud to say that after years of Islamic or Arabic uh, government in our country, Persian language still stayed alive. Yeah. We had lots of Arabic words coming through to our languages. But the good thing is that the structure of our language just stayed the same thing that it was. Mm. And, and it's a good thing. It's, it's pride in your own culture. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. If I want to continue, I, there are lots of Islamic government after that. Yeah. After lots of ups and downs, we have the Safavid period that 1,500 after Christianity. Yep. Everyone that goes to the literature or to the art of Iran, they, see, they say that Safavid uh, were fan of art and literature. So you can find lots of poetries and also um, art forms, artworks in different places of the Safavid dynasty. For example, the Shah Abbas Safavi, that was the inventor, uh, he was a fan of miniatures and book mm. bindings and making artwork. So mm. he invited people, art workers, come to the royal building and started to make the things that he wanted. And they created very masterpieces at that time, even though in architectural forms, because their uh, capital city was in Isfahan. So if someone going to Isfahan, you see, you know, lots of masterpieces in building manufacturers. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. And are these still around, the masterpieces of painting? Obviously, the architecture they is still are. around. Yeah, good. Yes, they are. They are. You can see it in, not just in Iran. If you go to the other museums like British Museum or mm. definitely, I think, in Metropolitan Museum in America, Mm. You will find lots of masterpieces from Safavid period. So how did the British Museum and the Metropolitan Museum in America get these masterpieces? How come they're not in Iran? Oh, you know, Iran, I can say it was a kind of manufacturer of the artworks. (laughs) So so they produced a lot I'm okay, that's fair enough. I mean, that it's not very odd that we see these masterpieces in other countries, yeah. but uh, because because you know, Iran always was the center of the attention for the artworks and creations. Yeah. Especially, you you see that the masterpieces really created in those areas. So, for very famous museums such.
such as uh, British Museum or Metropolitan Museum, I think is a necessary job to get those They've got things. to go and get them. And <laughs> the other thing, Shima, is that the British especially and the Americans a bit laterly had a big part to play in Iran, especially in the first half of the 20th century, didn't they? It's always like that, yeah, because, you know, Iran... Iran has been a political country for ages. Yeah. It's not a new story. No. And there are lots of resources. I mean that lots of resources. It's not just oil. There are lots of things happening in Iran, uh, even from geographical spot that Iran situated. Yeah. Uh, it's a right place for, um, for all powers to get in there. This is why that we had lots of challenges during all years. <laughs> so um, let's jump to the 20th century. We have a couple of revolutions going on, a couple of coups. Oh, yeah. And that's where you come into it. You get born into when the Shah's disposed, around about that time, I guess, isn't it? Actually, I was war- born in, in Shah's. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, in, in Shah's. So yeah, was I. Yeah. I remember uh, when the revolution in Iran happened in 19... 19- whenever it was, 1978, I think. don't know. But I remember even as a young boy seeing it on the news going, oh, my God, and being very confused yeah. about it because it's just no knowledge about politics whatsoever. But anyway, so what was it like for you? Did you, did you notice any change? Is it something you can uh, talk about? Yeah, actually, I was born in Pahlavi's period, in Shah's period, and mm. I remember that um, I was five years old when I experienced revolution. Uh, so I remember the things that I heard from my parents or other family members mm. that, uh, yeah, they had a good time in uh, Pahlavi's period as well. But when revolution came, always there are some kind of not happy people around the society. So, yeah. And I can say that most of the things was based, again, on the political situation of Iran. And so a, a revolution mapped in Iran just happened. Mm. And I remembered as a child that I have a kind of fade memory of the revolution at the time that has happened, just that people um, just escaping and I wasn't in the street, you know, I was a child and my family also. Mm. Uh, But we we weren't get very involved with the situation because it was very inconvenient to go out. Yeah. First year after revolution, I started my primary school. Uh, so I really didn't feel anything. I mean, that it was all right. It was a change that they asked girls like me, just put this scarf on. And my mm. scarf always was around my shoulder. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look right. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't put it on. Oh, really? Yeah, was it because of a fashion yeah. statement? <laughs> But definitely the society got influenced from that change. Mm. But we still didn't feel it until um, when I just went to the secondary school uh, that the Iranian war, I think, started. With when Iraq. I- with yeah. Iraq, yeah. yeah. That was a bit, ma- we felt some things. We, we heard some things in the news that something's yeah. happening mm. and some pressure or bombing. Yeah, we uh, experienced a bit of that. Uh, but, you know, when you are a child, all of these things is fun experience. Well, it's you. just normal, isn't it? Because what else have I you mean, got to go on? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, even though for the kind of, you know, we got the alarm for, I remember that uh, when uh, it was a red situation with bombing Iraq muscles coming or something, we had a red situation and the radio just started to just make a very, you know, loud alarm that yeah. you need to just go to your uh, yeah. safe place. And yeah. it was fun for us. And now our whole family just leave everything and... <laughs> Going to the basement for <laughs> yeah, just have an adventure. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, your parents are just scared. Yeah, but definitely it was very hard situation. I'm just you know making jokes now, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know we have lots of young people that they went to the war and they were killed, yeah. and uh, so I mean Iran um, always and just experienced kind of you know ups and downs and. Uh, lots of sad experiences as well. That when you're grown up, you just see them. When you're a child, definitely no. No. Like wars like that, you're always going to have tragedy. I mean, that's that's what it is, basically. Of course, yeah. In Australia, it's hard, perhaps not now, because I know a little bit more about the situation, but it was hard for me to understand why Iraq and Iran, countries with such similar names in a lot of ways, would even go to war with each other. It seemed like, hmm, why would Iraq and Iran go to war? You know, the, in, in Middle East, this is a kind of normal things always happen. I mean, that even though nowadays you see about this Syria and Lebanon and other places that mm. every day they experience something. I think this is, again, kind of political stories that happening in the, that area of the world. Because um, there is the place of the resources, as I told you before. Powers like America, England, always want to get access to those resources. I mean that they they use any any devices or any plan to do that. Mm. So Iranian war and Iraq's war, I think, was one of those kind of um, things that happened. What I can say is that because... You know, we have a very common borders all the time around. And Iraq and Iran also has um, common borders that sometimes Iraq would like, before I mean revolution, wanted to access to those borders and mm. also access to our oil in south of Iran. Yeah. We have a very resources, a vast resources of the oil and gas. Mm. And I think it was his aim to access to that one. But in Shah's period, in Pahlavi's period, because we had a very kind of a strong military services. It was hard governments for other countries to access to Iran, even though one step coming. But uh, the ruler of Iraq that at that time was Saddam Hussein, that mm-hmm. um, probably he thought that he can just make and just take the advantage of this situation. It's revolution happened, our military service just ruined, and mm. there is no support to Iran. So it's a good time that he can just prove himself as a controller or dominant to the yeah, area. Yeah, and just grab a bit of Iran yeah. and grab a bit of their oil. So it's not because of any religious differences at all? No, no, there wasn't like that. No, mm. it wasn't like that. 
because they are Muslim too. They are, they, you know, the only country in the, in that the Middle Eastern part, the only country that is um, based on Shia Muslims, Shia Islam, mm. is is us. Yep. I mean that we are Shia Muslim, but other countries, all Arab countries, and other people around are Sunni Muslim. And this Shia Muslim also established during the Shah Abbas Safavis period. And it's very spiritual. I mean that in, during Safavis period, I mean that Sufism and dervishes just came from that kind of Shia Muslim yeah. and Safavis dynasty. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not like Protestants and Catholics in Ireland uh, no, no, it's not like that. No, mm. because we have still some. We, 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 everything's the same. We have some kind of very minor differences in between. But mm. uh, Shia Muslim are more moderate. I mean that uh, Sunni Muslim are a bit more prejudiced. Mm. But Shia Muslim are a bit easy. They don't take it very seriously. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're, yeah. you're allowed to wear your scarf around your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. Not in Islamic rules, Adrian. No, not like that. No. We are not, no, we are not allowed. But, you know, Iran always, and for example, in south of Iran, because it's more connected to the Arabic country, so they are Sunni as well. But the rest of Iran who are Shia, I mean, it depends on the family's uh, view, but they are more moderate. I mean, even though uh, there is an obligation for having a job, but it's not, maybe it's rooted in our Zoroastrian culture or we mm. are impacted from European culture because, or something else, maybe because during Reza Shah's period in Pahlavis, you know that we had a huge reform actually mm. in, in our society, I can say, because... Reza Shah actually brought kind of a modernization to Iran. And yeah. he he started to force people. It, it was a bit controversial, but he started to ask women to just, you know, take the scarves off. Uh -huh. uh, and they weren't allowed, actually. You know, Iran hasn't got this balance. <laughs> the, Reza Shah asking people to take their scarves off in, you know, uh, Islamic society now, they ask, you need to put this scarf yeah. on. Women always. But anyway, I remember that my mom, my mother was saying about grand, I don't, I don't know, maybe her grandma, uh -huh. uh, that uh, when she wanted to go out of the house, because they just used to have scarves but uh, Reza Shah um, it was compulsory if any woman wants to pass to the street or come out of home they need to take the scarf off oh, wow. otherwise they get captured yeah oh my God. so <laughs> so you can't wear a scarf at all now what if your head's cold and yeah, no, that uh, they, they need to put the hat on, very yeah. European style. I mean, that yeah, in Reza right. Shah, they had to put the um, hat on. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, maybe this is for what? Yeah, for this that. is like 1920, isn't it, the Reza Shah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something not, like not that. 1920, yes, 1925 something happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've grown up and... You've got a job in Tehran and got married, I take it? Yeah. 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 And you've decided with your husband that you're going to immigrate. Can you, look, you don't have to talk about the politics of that at all, but can you talk about the feelings of that? Like that must be such a big step to take for anybody. 
Yeah, of course, it was very challenging decision, especially for us. As you say, we had jobs and we had a kind of established family life and yeah. uh, we already settled in Iran. And it was very hard to just take this decision. But at that time, we just thinking about the future, about that, how would be in future and also we were thinking about the future, our daughter, and also about ourselves, careers, and developments. And I really didn't feel or didn't see that kind of progress that I, was, I wanted in Iran. Yeah. Even, even though I had a very good job, my husband also had a very good job. But about me, I just wanted to learn more and more. Yeah, and continue your scholarship. Mm. Of course, yeah. Mm. And I, I was thinking that this is very helpful if I just immigrated because if I wanted even though to choose staying and living in Iran and then continue my studies going back to a kind of, you know, foreign country, it was so expensive, especially with my family life. You know, it was it was hard to do that. So we thought that if we can get the kind of, you know, we, what, what's that, uh, re- residency and coming yep. in here, definitely we can got the government support and facilities that it, it makes a bit easier for us. So, yeah. Mm, you, on the one hand, it's easier, but you don't have the support of your family. Like your daughter is not able to see her grandparents every day or every week or whatever. They've, and that's a huge upheaval. Yeah. And it's a big risk too. Yeah. It was really, it was a big risk, really. Yeah, it was. But maybe when um, I situated in that place, I didn't feel so much like that because yeah. I was about, and I was thinking that whenever I miss my family, I can just easily go back to Iran and see yep. them or yep. visit them. Yep. But, you know, when you just come in reality, you see that, no, it's very different. But anyway, the life is like that. Sometimes you uh, you have to, Adria, really. <laughs> you've got to. You've, you've, got, <laughs> you've just got to live it. You haven't got any choice. <laughs> yeah, that's it's tough. it. So yeah. it's, it's very tough. It's, it's not easy, even though for, for example, my family members or for other friends, that I just talk to them, they are in Iran, even though mm. with the current situation that exists in Iran, it's not easy to make this decision. No. So you need, no, the thing is that Adrian, you know, sometimes if you design a kind of aim for yourself, map an aim, yeah. definitely if you be serious about that aim, you have to just put that, those limitations aside. If you want to make a new life or if you want to progress those ideas, it depends on how strong you think about those aims. And then it makes it a bit easier for you to decide. Yeah, right. And have those aims that you decided, have they changed over the years? Has, has, it, has Australia or at least the Western society lived up to your expectations? Or? Uh, Actually, uh, it's very hard to uh, say yes. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm not surprised. 
Yeah, because, you know, when you just come, you see lots of microscopic things around that <laughs> situation. It's not like... <laughs> that before... Yeah, it's not the yeah. broad brush joke that you thought it exactly. was, is it? Yeah. That beforehand, definitely, you even didn't think about it. Uh, yeah. About myself or my husband, definitely we lose uh, some things. I mean that even though when you are in your own community, it's the most, the main advantage of living in that area. We just, you know, lost this, this support and this kind yeah. of, uh, and this is not, this is not good. But from the other points of view, when I see the situation of Iran at the moment, I see that, all right, it, it wasn't a bad decision. So, and yeah. especially when I see my, my daughter, that she's growing up very happy and she has got her own community around herself, the friendship, mm. and she's exploring very different, I mean, from the thing that she was supposed to grow up in Iran. So it makes me more happy. I mean, that um, I feel that, all right, we made a good decision. It's as if you make a sacrifice for her in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. isn't it? Even though um, you are very ambitious, I think. You know, yeah. you've, I mean, ambitious, you've, you've got a plan, you've got a, an aim. Yeah, you know, Adrian, I can say that it's not about the sacrificing myself. I don't think like that. No. Be because I, I already also achieved many things in here. Yeah, you yeah. know, even though even though I just yeah miss my family or the the things that I mean that it's a bit different from the things that I was thinking when I was in Iran, being in Australia, it was a bit different. But immigration just made me another person that I, you know, I appreciate that now. Oh, absolutely! How else yeah. could you be not a different person? You'd have to be. Yeah, because of the situation, I mean, that if I stayed in Iran, definitely I didn't experience these vast kind of elements around me. Lots of, lots of things around this immigration happened to me. Communicating with new people, yeah. just, you know, the, uh, just, you know, dissolving in the culture, learning about the culture, um, being in a multicultural society, see other people's life. These are very precious to me now, you know, uh, mm. and definitely if I stayed back in Iran, I didn't experience these, these things. Yeah. And, you know, especially with these days, current situation that exists in Iran. Anyway, it's like that. Yeah. You'd have different forks in the road. I mean, you took this major fork in the road to immigrate. Was Australia a destination that you chose or was it a uh, limited opportunities? Do you know what I mean? Like, did you yes. want to go to the States? Uh, you mean that the States or Australia? You know, Australia actually was our aim because, yeah, okay. um, yeah because uh, it was, a, a, we already experienced Europe. Uh, we have been in Europe for a while in, in yeah. England. Yeah. And uh, by the time that we decided to immigrate, um, we started to look for Canada because Canada also just accepted migrant skilled people. Yeah. And we, we were about actually to just fill out application for Canada as well. But my husband always talked about uh, Australia. Okay. And uh, yeah, because Australia, it, uh, Australia's climate and situation, it's very It's a little bit warmer. Our, it's warmer, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and maybe this was, this was one of the main reasons, actually, because yeah, I'm really? very yeah, <laughs> sensitive okay. to the okay. weather as yeah, well. Yeah, okay. You've got to have, you've got to have a warm climate. Of course, yeah, because I experienced living in London for a oh. while. London was amazing. I really liked that. But uh, the weather was very annoying to me and every yeah. day was very different. And uh, So anyway, and you know, Australia also got less population and the government was more supportive, I think. Okay. So, yeah, we decided to come to Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, bloody good on you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it'd be really hard. I can't even imagine immigrating, actually. Oh, I probably, no, I probably you don't can. need to, Adrian. You well, don't no, need maybe to. I don't need to, but if I wanted to, I think, yeah. um, I think leaving family would be a really, really hard thing to do. Of course. Yes, it is. It's very hard. Yeah, even, even especially these days with this coronavirus coming up. I was about to just fly to Iran oh. about six months ago. Yeah. Yeah, no. Nah. And, Don't do you that. know, yeah. Nah. No, I, I was about actually. I cancelled my flight. Yeah, but, I'm not surprised. Uh, so I couldn't. I mean, that uh, even though when you decide to go to visit your family, these things happened. But um, mm. I'm very serious to go more often to my country to see my family or invite them to come over. And anyway, my mother has been here um, for once and my brother from Sweden as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, if they have opportunities, they just make it to come for a visit. But um, it's hard. It's very hard. But it's a life. What should we do? <laughs> yeah, that's it. What about yeah. if I wanted to immigrate to Iran? How hard would that be, do you reckon? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you want to immigrate, you need to start just learning Persian language. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that would be a good start. But, like, would yes. it be possible? Do you think they'd open, they'd have open arms for me if I wanted to go back? Not go back because I've never been there. <laughs> they they I... just catch you as a spy from <laughs> Australia. <laughs> oh, right. Oh. So no, that's, that's I, no fun. No, I'm just joking. But in this situation at the moment, maybe it's not easy to go there. But I think with coronavirus, uh, it's not easy to go anywhere. But let's imagine coronavirus doesn't exist. Okay, let's not say we're immigrating, but let's say we're gonna. I'm going to be a tourist in Iran. Would that be a difficult thing? Would that be a dangerous thing? Uh, you know, I can say if you just go by yourself, just because I see lots of people around Australia who decide one night to go around Iran, uh, not Iran, sorry, to another country and easily they can travel. Yeah. But I, I may suggest that if anyone doesn't have any familiarity or anyone to know, any friend or someone who can help, maybe the better option is that they go um, with a tour. Yeah. Uh, not just by themselves, but last year I just um, got familiar with a gentleman who just was a musician of the uh, tra traditional musics in um, not just in Iran, in, in other places as well. And uh -huh. he wanted to learn more about santur, one of the traditional yep. kind of you know instruments. And yep. he he wanted to go to Isfahan by himself, and he didn't know what to do, and he met me and he asked me i i just could i was lucky that I, I could have found some people who were just playing music in isfahan and just introduced to him 
And he he just went by himself and just straight away to Isfahan. And he had amazingly had a very good experience in Isfahan with those folks. And, you know, Iranian people are very hospitable, you know, that yeah, they are very, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are, they are really hospitable. Yeah. Um, it's better that you plan your uh, trip. Mm. That you know where to go, you know the person that uh, you're just mm, visiting. It's no, it's not easy just going by yourself without yeah. knowing. I the think things. if you were like this man as a musician wanting to learn music, it'd probably be really amazing going by yourself because the musicians that were there would be you, you, you're kind of so vulnerable in a way, and you're going there for a very specific reason, like if. I'm a woodworker, right? If somebody from Iran wanted to come and visit Australia and investigate woodworking, I'd be like, "Yeah, come on over." Of course, because there's yeah. a there's a, it's a two way street culturally, isn't it? Of course, yeah, it is. No, it's it's not so hard to go, but as long as you just um, uh, kind of plan your uh, trip. Yeah, for sure. What about, um, can you talk about the PhD you're studying at the moment? Yeah, of course. You know that I have a long history, long story to the <laughs> my way going through. <laughs> studying for the entire life. Yeah, studying for the entire life. And I really enjoy studying. I really enjoy, uh, you know, um, I, I just have this passion to read and yeah, right. uh, write and um, and I enjoy really when I just go start um, writing the things I feel that um, because I am a bit at the moment um, away from doing the artworks but mm. there is something inside me you know when I write something I feel that I create something absolutely I, yeah, yeah absolutely I, I'm a big believer that you can be creative in anything you do and um, it's about thinking about things in a new way that's what being creative is and you can certainly do it writing absolutely and that's what scholarship is you have to be creative to do a PhD yeah 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 so what is the topic that you're studying Um, I'm studying on the carpets biography Objects biography in uh, Australian museums. I'm mm. just trying to research on the Iranian carpet biography uh, that um, about their significance assessments and these sort of things. Do we have any significant carpets? Um, Carpets are all significant on my point of view. Yeah, fair enough. No, that's fair enough. So obviously hand-woven and... Uh, they are hand-woven, yeah. Uh, you know, in the in Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, there is a pile of actually tribal carpets, nomad, nomadic, Iranian mm-hmm. nomadic carpets. And I was working on them for a few months. I was working on them and... I just uh, found lots of interesting information in regard to their significance assessment. And this is why that made me another study (laughs) to research more uh, on the area. Yeah, definitely. I'm working on the 
kind of is a quality assessment that how these information are accurate for the museum evidences and you know how they are exhibited or how kind of from the point of intangible cultural issues how the curators or people who are responsible to represent this um, idea how they act on it and yeah i investigate on these subjects at the moment Mm. are they old they are not as old as um, Iranian carpets in other museums, but the good thing is that they are a very good collection of different type of woven textile, whatever is used in a tribal uh, life. For example, like belt that using for camel or for mm-hmm. the horse or mm-hmm. something that's um, like a black tents uh, that use for tribal tents set up. There are lots of things that you can find in them. And the, the other thing is that about the carpets or about the tribal nomadic rock, it doesn't matter. I mean, here, it doesn't matter how old are they. Uh, uh, the thing is that about the patterns and yeah, this okay. clarification and also what kind of patterns are used in these carpets, how they got transmitted and how the symbolic values of them are preserved in the museum. Yeah. yeah. These are so the, the things. So you, in a sense, the language of the carpet, you could read, read them, the patterns would indicate what clan they came from or what area they came from or... Yeah, exactly. Is that, yeah. yeah, so it's a bit like a Scottish tartan or something in a way. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you own any carpets yourself? Oh. <laughs> Have you brought of, some home? <laughs> of course, of course. You do. Have you? Hey, have you woven any? And not really. It's very hard. It's difficult. It's not an easy job to weave. Actually, you know, I started to learn how to weave them. I know how to weave them. And I had a very small piece of, very small, tiny piece of carpet that I um, I, I just uh, wove them before when I was a student in traditional arts of Iran. But mm. it's not an easy job that you sit and do whole carpet. This is one that carpets are so precious to me yeah. and the hand-woven one. It's lots of work doing on it. But, yeah, I have some pieces of carpet from home. <laughs> yeah, so how long would it take to weave a carpet? I don't know. I don't know how big, mm. like a size of a table, say. Oh, so. You know, it depends. In, um, um, in Iran, I mean that in different places in Iran, it depends that um, how many people working on them because yeah, sometimes okay. they have they have workshops, so it means that few people are doing are just working on it. Yeah. Um, at least two three people. How it depends that how large the carpet is that working, but yeah. it takes a while. Definitely at least six months. Something even Good though Lord. three. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a long time, isn't it? I think so. I, I'm not sure, but definitely it should be because, you know, um, whatever you see is not like a machine uh, made no. uh, because every knot, every single knot, it should be done by hand. 
Yeah. So ima- imagine that how long. And also they need to read to pattern as well. Yeah. It's not it's not just, you know, weaving. In mm. some places, mm. uh, especially in some tribes uh, in Iran, they just um, use colors. They just like that carpet that named Yabbe. Uh, they just um, working from their memory. Whatever it comes to their memory, they start to weave it. They highlight the colors and just, you know, use several colors. But mm. in workshop, workshop that, you know, carpet weaving is done, definitely they need to be very precise. Mm. And it's very, um, especially the ones who are working with the carpet dealers, even though carpet dealers are very specific in seeing that how patterns done precisely. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 difficult. Yeah, is it done? Um, sorry, look, is it done by women or is it done by men or both or children? Mostly, or mostly, people? mostly women do it. Mostly, uh, it's the women's job. Yeah. You know, in the big workshops that uh, kind of they do the national carpets, I can say. Yeah. Uh, it's just a group of uh, women that they are doing in some cases probably you find some men as well but it's normally yeah. it is a women job but in tribal carpets these uh, it, this is a tradition that is transmitted uh, from a mom's elder sister to kind of younger sister yeah. so they started from very early age maybe eight or nine. So they start to learn how uh, to weave a rock. And apart from that, you know, most of these carpets are kind of natural. They are using natural dyes and they just use their own kind of wools, the sheep's wools that they keep it. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a very kind of long process to get a carpet. Do the colors in the tribal ones, are they, do they last a long time? Are they still colourful like 20 or 30 years down the track? Of course. The mm. good thing about the natural colours, it's, it's that this is why that the, you know, Iranian carpets, however they uh, get older, you see that still they are very vivid and yeah. they are very bright yeah. because um, they use all natural colours and, and for the red colours, I remember that they used a, um, very very small insects. Yeah. Uh, yeah, red red insects that I don't know finding where, but it's a red yeah. insect that yeah. using boiling that oh poor God. insects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get, uh, it's very good. I mean that this mm. is the base of the historical uh, carpets in Iran, and yeah. but other colors. There are you know lots of plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So. so I know that you've designed carpets. Did you take a particular traditional pattern or how did you go about designing carpets yourself? Oh, that one is actually um, from my study on Mm. on the Safavid carpets uh, designs Mm. because Safavid carpets was very interesting to me always. I mean, that Safavid art, uh, that central medallion in, in, in that we made it as a sun. You remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah, yeah and the corners, and also the other plant-rooted uh, design. Uh, all was a kind of um, from my studies from Safavid carpet and mm. uh, the carpets that he created at that time. Yeah. yeah, bloody good. What's the new challenges coming up for you, Shima? 
Uh, the new challenges probably should be uh, writing articles or maybe books for me. Oh, are we going to get a book? <laughs> Why? Not, not now. I'm just thinking at the moment. But articles, awesome. defin- yeah, articles, definitely, I'm thinking about just writing a few articles and may translate them in Persian uh, for, yeah. you know, my ira- Iranian folks yeah, <laughs> to use it. Yeah, definitely. It's my aim at the moment to do that. I just, you know, produce those scholarships that I studied. I can produce something at the moment. and uh, You yeah. kind of got to don't you in a way you've got to actually produce papers and articles and things that's part of your job yes it is yeah definitely it's part of my job and i'm very interested to do it and i'm thinking mm. about yeah. you know what just... would the book you you would write what would that be probably i will write about the museology and uh-huh. about the you know the kind of multicultural objects how they are kept in the museum and yeah. or maybe to write about the how we can have a good significance assessment about about the objects about the objects with multicultural background or with yeah. intangible heritage issues yeah get some sort of understanding uh, of what the object you're looking at is. What is what do the patterns mean, for instance, the, or what are the of colors? Of course, mean? Yeah. yeah. Symbolic values and yeah, other things. That's yeah. right. Interpret the language. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? Um, okay. Hobby. Now, okay. Now, Shima, just stop. What I want you to say right now is you like to go surfing. Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> Because of the sharks. Oh, really? <laughs> no. You gotta go I, surfing. I, I love I love swimming. Yeah, I love do you? swimming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't I'm not there enough to go surfing. Does does your daughter surf? What about your husband? He's a surfer now, isn't he? Come on. No, he is. No, no, we, we are not really. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are riding canoes uh, oh, yeah, cool. or kayaks, yeah, 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 but but not surfing. I'm not, uh, you know, especially you... in Sydney because every year we actually I was about to do that, and especially for Vesta, my daughter, we were thinking about it. But um, after just you know lots of things that we we are hearing from news in here from the shark attacks, <laughs> we changed our mind. <laughs> Do you know? Do you know? Like, there's the number of shark attacks in Australia. It's like three a year or something. It's really, really rare. Is that in Sydney the same? No, no, Adelaide, everywhere. The Adelaide, whole, they no. don't have any. Adelaide, well, no, you can that. you can get attacked by a shark anywhere in Australia. You can get attacked by a shark anywhere in the world <laughs> if you want to go in the ocean. Do you know uh, the most dangerous object in Australia is a soft couch? Oh, how come? Well, heart disease, obesity, like car crashes, I think, in Australia, probably 600 a year deaths. Oh, really? Soft couches, tens of thousands. Mm. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So there you go. What you're not allowed. Soft couches is not scary, isn't it? It's not, not at all, (laughs) but it's pretty dangerous. Of course, yeah. So now you can go swimming. You can go surfing now. Yeah, okay. I may change my mind. Yeah, change your mind. Anyway, in all seriousness, do you have hobbies? What what do you do for your pastimes? 
just in the spare time, I just、um, I, I go for a walk, or you know, I spend some time in the kitchen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love bakery.、Uh, not not cooking, just baking bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so yeah. your husband cooks. Uh, no, he does、I、all do the other some, cooking, but you、uh, do the bread. No, I do. I do cooking, but I, not every time I enjoy cooking. No, sometimes I enjoy it, but for a joy or for a kind of hobby, I do some baking as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like doing yogas and do you? you know, Good one. Go, yeah,、uh, walking around. I mean,、uh, do exercises. These are the things that I'm very interested to do it. Or if I get some time. To read some kind of novels, some yeah, books.、Okay. Or, Have you read、yeah. some good ones? What? Give us a recommendation. What's a good one? Actually, not recently because you know I just was very stuck in my、um, you know other scholarships doing. You've been、uh, busy. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> It'd be interesting though to get some Iranian novels. Are there any translated into English that are really cool? There should be. Yeah, because、uh, I know but... there's some really awesome Iranian movies. Like if anyone, you got to go and see a movie called The Separation. Yeah, it's so good. It is. I yeah, I know. It's very good. Cinemas is a bit different, I think.、Uh, cinema, you because、um, especially that movie, the separation that got very famous and just you, you just easily can find translation or、uh, what is that、uh, subtitles for that? Yeah. 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 But about the books, it's a different story, I think. But the One of the good ones that was written in Persian is from that scholars who was living in、um, in the islands.、Uh, do you remember Reza? Oh, okay. Oh no, I、yeah. know the one you're talking about. Yeah, he texted it. Yeah, I, I will. Yeah,、And、yeah. I, I, the the guy texted the book. To a、of、journalist,、yeah. and the it took him three years, I think, and the、um, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll put a link on the homepage for the for this. Yeah, yeah, that one is very good. If you had a superpower, what would it be? A superpower? Yeah, I don't know. I am a very good thinker. <laughs> It's very hard、That's、to、cool. think about. That's cool. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm very patient. The first thing is that, yeah, and、okay. uh, yeah, this just gives me some space to think more. And、yeah. I think it's a superpower sometimes. I think it I is、know. too. I think patience can be a superpower. Yeah. How do you yeah, how I, how do you learn patience? I didn't. It's genetically, I think, comes through. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think it just came from my parents, and yeah. Do you reckon patience and courage have got a kind of strong linkage? I have these two. Yeah, yeah. This is why that I immigrated to Australia. <laughs> I know. Like that's what struck me too. I mean, because to, it's such a risk. You know the cultures. I imagine the Australian culture and cultures in the West and a Persian culture would be quite different. When you get to a new country, there are real differences that you, they're so nuanced. Yeah. And you can't 
you can't get that from a news report or a, a pamphlet or yeah, I mean it, even the differences between Australia and say America or the UK I mean there's some pretty significant differences even though you wouldn't see it on the surface yeah yeah of course there, there are these differences but you know as you say sometimes people when they grow up in a society that they have more challenges compared to the other people mm. uh, for you know um, having a good life i mean that for example even though for uh, when i wanted to accept for the entrance exam i'm talking about maybe 25 years ago uh, it was a bit, it was very challenging for us because it was very competitive and it was very hard. Yeah, and right. uh, compared to these days, even even it, it's very hard and harder than, it's very difficult. I mean that we, we were a generation that we just faced with very challenging situations. And I think that one educated us or trained us to be to be to have this courage uh, to do the things that we want, and mm. it's very it, it very depends. I mean that um, because I see that children here, or even though in the normal life, I see that I don't know it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but Australian or European people they don't face too much with challenges because everything is ready for them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, hey, okay. Iran, this yeah. is, you know, yeah. but in Iran, living in Iran is not like that. You need to fight for earning the things, for yeah. getting the things. Yeah, gotcha. Not, not, I mean, it's not about fight. It's not about I mean that just make you stronger because you want to achieve the things that you have to work towards on it. Yeah. And yeah. the society make you do it. It's not like that, that, okay, the, the university, if you don't have this opportunity, you go to the other opportunity. If you don't have that one, you can go there. Mm. No, it's not like that. You have just one opportunity to go. If you are capable, go there. Otherwise, I'm sorry. You just can't go and do something else. That is so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so you've yeah. got to be strong and you've got to be courageous, otherwise you're just going to of course, sink. Yeah. 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 And at the same time, there's plenty of people with all those opportunities sink into mediocrity and, and don't rise to the occasion as well, which is what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I, I, I think... Challenges can be really awesome, but at the same time, having sometimes having really strong challenges can be breaking as well. So there's a balance there, isn't there? You don't want to kind of break people, but you've got to keep people strong. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, that I don't think that the aim of Iranian society is that to keep people strong. No, it's, I, but, and it's not to break people either. It's to... Uh, I mean, the situation is like that, but it's very depends on the situation of the families as well. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have a chance to grow up in a balanced family with the situation. You definitely experience less challenges. But sometimes if you grow up in a kind of, not very middle class or, I mean, that low class family, 
I mean that from the financial yeah, yeah. Uh, point of view or other things, definitely you got more challenges to do. And I, I just, you know, saw lots of people who had these challenges, but um, they just worked hard to get there. I mean that to, to get to, to the place that they wanted. Yeah. It's. I think it very depends. Situation by situation is very different. Like here, I think. Here also it depends on the family background, on the connection, on the networking, mm. whatever. I mean, that everything mm. can surround you. What's that? Right time, right place. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ev- yeah. Everything's, I think everything just can be kind of influential factors on the challenges that you face, on the decisions that you make. It very depends. Depends to many factors around that situation. Yeah, there are very many factors. This, it's yeah, that's right. Shima, I reckon that's a really good place to wrap it up. I'm so thankful for your time this evening. Oh, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really, I've always enjoyed talking to you, and this conversation's been really good. I hope what we've talked about is okay with you. You know, even though here I feel that maybe the the thing that I stick to the scholarship still is that I still can save my connections to uh, Mm. my cultural background. Mm. And this makes me very happy. I mean, that I think that, all right, I'm doing something that is, it makes me happy and it's useful Mm. as well for both societies. I can Uh, totally see that, Shima. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, look, it's uh, I can see how important that is to you, but it has meaning. Mm, yeah, lots of meaning to me, actually, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. I ha- yeah, I wish that I can just, you know, um, progress this and I can just find a space that, as I told you, I can get those kind of uh, writings done, those articles get published and just yeah. go through it. Otherwise, it makes me a bit sad. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know exactly where you're at when you've got like a an ambition and a drive, and you just can't realise it. You've got well, you've got patience too, Shima. So there you go. (laughs) I told you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Either be patient or just start throwing dishes everywhere, throw pots and pans. I know. Oh, look, Shima, thank you so much for our conversation. Oh, I really thank appreciate you. it. Oh, thank you, Adrian. Thank you very much for offering this opportunity to me that I can have this talk to you. And uh, if someone's in, you know, interested to listen, uh, it makes me happy that I talk about my cultural background and things. Yeah, so, thank you very much.
کشم از گریه نیادت میرز یادم نمیدونم به این دنیا تقاسه چی رو پس دادم بگو پشت کدوم ابری که شب سر در گریبونه که روز از ترس تنهایی پناه سایه میمونه تنها رفتی و بی تو موجی سرگردانم دریایم باش دنیا چشمانم مثل رودی جامانده از دریا ای تو تنها آرزوی من وقتی با من باشی دنیا زیبا جوی این باور را من که 
شگیران 
در باور نبشت قصه ها را به سنگیگر از کجا این باور آمد که گفت گر روت سر بر نگردد سر Sing us, sing us, sing us.